Hi, I'm F. Paul Driscoll, Editor-in-Chief of Opera News. Please join us for the next event in our fascinating live interview series, The Singer Studio. On Wednesday, November 14th, we will be joined by American bass baritone Christian Van Horn. The interview begins at 6 p.m. at the Samuel B. and David Rose Building at Lincoln Center. For tickets, visit opernews.com slash singerstudio or call 212-769-7028. See you there. Mon Coeur Souvois Ta Voix is one of the most popular mezzo-soprano arias in the operatic canon. Its sensual melodies and sumptuous harmonies seduce the audience and leave us wanting more. On this episode of the Metropolitan Opera Guild podcast, the opera that brought us this iconic aria, Saint-Saëns, Samson and Delilah. The Metropolitan Opera Guild is dedicated to enriching people's lives through an awareness and deeper appreciation of opera. Our podcast features lectures and events presented by the Guild in support of performances at the Metropolitan Opera. The Metropolitan Opera Guild podcast is funded in part by support from the Stuart J. Pierce Memorial Fund. To learn more, visit metguild.org. Samson and Delilah, a tale of passionate heroism, unrequited love, and shattering betrayal, endures as the only opera by the brilliant French composer Saint-Saëns still regularly performed today. I'm Naomi Baratera, and on this episode of the Metropolitan Opera Guild podcast, my co-host and director of school programs and community engagement at the Met Opera Guild, Stuart Holt, takes a closer look at this 19th century masterpiece. The opera we're talking about tonight is Samson and Delilah by Camille Saint-Saëns, and this is the first new production of the Met season. It's also the first time that we've seen a new production of Samson and Delilah in over 20 years. But this also marks the fourth time that Samson and Delilah has opened a Met opera season. Now, the first time was in 1915 with Enrico Caruso as the Samson. And then the second was actually quite a special event. A hundred years ago this year, 2018, on Armistice Day, the opera opened late that season, it again featured Enrico Caruso in the title role and American mezzo-soprano Louise Homer as Dalila. And by all accounts, it was a thrilling evening that featured an amazing operatic performance but also included an impressive patriotic display. Once the curtain fell at the end of Act One, it rose again to reveal the entire Metropolitan Opera Company en masse, holding flags of various sizes, and close to the footlights bearing the flags of the Allied Nations, with, of course, Enrico Caruso holding the Italian tricolor, and from a signal from the conductor Pierre Monteux, the collected masses began to sing with many in the audience the Star-Spangled Banner, followed by the Marseillaise, followed by the Italian hymn of Mameli, and finally, God Save the King, all at the end of the first act. <laughs> I'm not really sure how they went on from that, but it was quite a display. Our third opening occurred in 1998 with Placido Domingo and Olga Borodina in the title roles, which also incidentally celebrated the 30th anniversary of Placido Domingo's debut at the Met. Funny enough, this season we're celebrating his 50th anniversary of that debut. So this rich history sets us up for a rather exciting evening in the theater. The opera was composed by Charles Camille Saint-Saëns, Born in Paris in 1835, and like Mozart and Mendelssohn, was a bit of a child prodigy. He was composing his first musical sketches at five and giving public piano recitals that featured most of Beethoven's work by age 10. He would enter the Paris Conservatory at age 13 to begin his training, focusing on composition but also his study of the organ. He would become one of the finest organists in Europe. Along with being an excellent pianist, many of us know his third symphony, affectionately known as the Organ Symphony, and the extensive use of the piano in his Carnival of the Animals. 
He was a great supporter of the arts and was known to host Monday musical receptions at his home in Paris. These events provided an opportunity to experience music and Saint-Saëns' sharp wit. At one such event, he was asked to accompany two sisters as they sang a duet. Supposedly, they sang so poorly, he turned to the mother and asked, Madame, which of your daughters do you wish me to accompany? <laughs> so a little bit of a biting wit there. He was not a prolific composer, uh, and many historians say that this wasn't necessarily due to the fact that he wasn't talented or that he didn't have a very strong work ethic, but rather he had a strong streak of perfectionism. He was known to say about his own work, I ran after the chimera of purity, of style, and perfection of form. Yet he was highly respected by his fellow composers. In fact, Hector Berlioz called him one of the greatest musicians of our epoch. He began working on Samson and Delilah in the mid-19th century at a time where French opera was divided into two camps, one being the opera comique, opera that featured spoken dialogue or later recitative, or French grand opera, which featured large-scale works with uh, large stagings and large cast size. Also during a time that there was a very strong revival of choral music in France. Sansal was a strong appreciator of the oratorios of Handel and Mendelssohn and decided that neither of the French opera styles were what he wanted to work in. He wanted to create a specific oratorio using Samson and Delilah as his source material. He began in 1867, and he approached this man, Ferdinand Lemaire, to help him to write the libretto for the oratorio. But we actually have this man, Ferdinand Lemaire, to thank for tonight's opera. Because Lemaire was the one who said, this has no place as an oratorio. This is truly operatic material. Sanson worked on an outline of the work, and he really focused on act two. From the beginning, he believed that the entire opera was really a grand duet set against an approaching storm. So it ends up being that we set it against this storm. We have a grand duet. We spend our time focusing specifically in the beginning on act two. Now, once he completed it, like many Broadway composers now, he spent his time offering a workshop of this in 1870. He himself improvised all of the orchestra parts at the keyboard. Now, unfortunately, as most workshops go, this got out to the press, and the press was not impressed, nor was the public. In fact, one critic was known to say, there has never been such a complete absence of melody. Sadly, being a perfectionist, this completely devastated Saint-Saëns, and he decided to take some time off. So with abandoning only Act Two being completed, he decided to travel. He took a trip to Weimar to see this man, Franz Liszt. Now, Liszt was an extremely generous colleague. He wanted to support new works, and he also wanted to support opportunities for young composers to get their works on the stage. He encouraged Saint-Saëns to return to the work, to not be bothered by what the critics said. He even sweetened the pot by saying, if you finish the work, I will produce it here at the Opera House in Weimar. By 1874, he had finished most of Act One, so we're now talking about two acts done, moving one step closer to a complete opera. And again, he decided to not be uh, sort of made uncomfortable by the idea of having a workshop. He used the same format at the Théâtre du Châtelet, and he again presented it. Sure, you can guess what happened. The critics were still not impressed, and it really failed to generate the sort of interest and excitement that he wanted from this piece. Enter a specific woman, acclaimed mezzo-soprano Pauline Verdot. She was a great admirer of Saint-Saëns' work. He was also a great admirer of hers. He had gone as far as to write the role of Dalila with her in mind. Now, she was willing to be a patron. She offered a salon performance of Act Two with the composer at the keyboard where she essayed the role of Dalila herself. Her hope was that the general director of the Paris Opera 
would hear this and mount an entire production. Now, unfortunately, this was not the case. Saint-Saëns finished the opera in 1876, and by this point, no opera houses in France were interested in presenting this work. Well, he went back to his friend Franz Liszt, who continued to show his support behind the piece, and in 1877, 10 years after Saint-Saëns began work on Samson and Delilah, it debuted here at the Grand Ducal Theater in Weimar in a German translation. It would take another 13 years before the piece appeared in France, and interestingly enough, this was in a production that was conducted by fellow composer Gabriel Fauré, and it was a huge success. Two years later, the opera arrived in Paris with a production that was finally lauded by critics and audiences alike. Now, the piece arrived here in the United States as a concert version just down the street at Carnegie Hall in 1892 and arrived at the Met in 1895. Which brings us to tonight's performance. I said earlier that French opera was divided into two camps. Now, I would say and I think most music historians would say, that Samson and Dalila would fall into the world of French grand opera. Big epic storytelling, big epic choruses, lots of people on stage, a rather generous orchestra. But think about the composers that he's working with. Two mainly composers that are running in this time period, Hector Berlioz, for those of you that saw Les Troyens, Five Hours of Glorious Singing, we would think of that as a, a French grand opera, or Meyerbeer was also working at the same time. But what exactly does French grand opera mean, aside from my dillying dallying about the thoughts? A genre of 19th century opera, generally in four or five acts, characterized by large-scale casts and orchestra, and in their original productions, lavish and spectacular design, stage effects, normally with plots based on or around dramatic historic events. Now, I would go one step further to add something that's still missing, and that is an element of dance. Almost all of these pieces include dance. We're in France, so think traditionally ballet. The easiest way to describe French grand opera is think Cecil B. DeMille of opera. <laughs> all right? If you can have it on stage, you can have it. So our production really embraces this style. It's being directed by Tony Award winner uh, Darko Tresniak. And he takes a piece and he sort of embraces this idea of the veil, the seen and yet not seen. He uses sumptuous colors. He uses sumptuous lighting, all mounted on a set in many ways is very minimalistic, and yet there's this wrought iron grid work that is used throughout. Again, thinking of that idea of the veil. We can see it and we can't see it. It's a modern interpretation that still plays with traditional ideas. So let's dive into the opera, starting in Act One. So again, right away we get a sense of this grid-like sort of material that's behind our chorus that's on stage. In the center is our Samson for the evening. It's being sung by Roberto Alanya. The Israelites are at prayer. And they believe Jehovah has turned his face from them in anger. And they beg to be set free. Immediately we get a sense of Sanson's use of the chorus. And I think when we hear this, we get a real idea of how this could have been an oratorio in the direction that he was going. Of course, it creates a sense of unity and a sense of community by starting with a chorus. It's a group of people coming together. Samson arrives and he emerges proclaiming that the hour of deliverance has arrived and that should, they should praise God's name. But Samson doesn't establish our hero with a real shout-out moment with an aria. That doesn't happen here. You get a lot of outbursts and short little moments from Samson where the chorus gets the moment to shine. Now, because this is a new production, for part of the evening, we will be using the production that was Placido's 30th anniversary. This was a production that was originally designed by Elijah Moshinsky, 
Uh, so we're going to take a look at a brief portion of this opening section. In this production, of course, Placido Domingo is our Samson. So for those of you that are keeping score, he is a tenor in this performance, not a baritone. So without further ado, let's take a watch. a sense of the declamatory nature of this vocal writing. It's not what we would consider a traditional aria, short little outbursts that culminate in this large moment. So again, knowing that this was originally supposed to be an oratorio, we get a real sense of that connection. As we continue in this story, Abimelech, the Philistine commander, arrives and denounces the captives and their god telling them that their god is powerless compared to the great Philistine god, Dagon. Samson, of course, and with inspiration from a vision of angels, he grabs Abimelech's sword and kills him. The Philistines, of course, rush the stage trying to fend off Samson. He pushes them away and leads the Israelites. The high priest of Dagon arrives and sees the mess and the dead body and orders the Philistines to kill the Israelites. Now, after seeing Samson's pure power, they are afraid. They say, we will not deal with this gentleman. The high priest curses Samson and the Israelites vowing revenge on them. Now, he then sort of shifts. Samson takes us on this journey to a more lyrical chorus moment. As dawn breaks and the Israelite elders appear, they give thanks for the deliverance that Samson has provided. Then he takes a complete change. We've had this rather sort of religious experience at the beginning. We've seen Abimelech, the, a.k.a. the bad guy for our opera, also the high priest of Dagon. And then we change because Dalila herself arrives. Sweeping melody that introduces her in the orchestra that is both delicate and feminine. So light strings, lots of use of the harp. And in this production... Darko really creates that Hollywood moment. There's a staircase in the center. She comes around the corner. There's handmaidens that come down. There's two balconies. There's 
flower petals that are falling down. The orchestra's going, and who comes around the corner? Alina Garancha as Dalai La. She, of course, descends the stairs, and she invites Samson to join her at her home. Now, it's always the discretion at a guild lecture of the lecturer to sort of pick what clips they want to use. So I decided that we might do an audio clip for this and this moment of Dalai La's entrance to experience one of my favorite Dalai La's, and that's uh, Russian mezzo-soprano Alina Obratsova. Uh, so we're going to take a listen to her. In this, listen to the delicate nature of the orchestra paired with the rich, sumptuous mezzo-soprano voice. There's a delicacy to the orchestra that's underneath, allowing her to really be this seductress and this temptress. And yet, on the flip side, this duality of maybe not being totally what she seems. Samson, of course, is warned that he should avoid temptation. I think we all know what happens. He says no, and the curtain falls at the end of Act One. Act Two opens in Dalila's home and really becomes a real focal point and an opportunity to highlight that character specifically. Samson is on his way to her house, and she calls on her guards to help ensnare and disarm him. The priest of Dagon arrives and reminds her that she is the only one who is able to render Samson powerless and that the fate of the Philistines rests in her hand. It's a little heavy load to bear, but she's willing to sort of take it on. And the two rejoice, knowing that Samson will fall victim to her powers and that she will receive all the wealth and reward that she can have. So as I said earlier, Camille Sasson really envisioned the whole act as a duet. In this final operatic version, the first part of the act features a duet between Dalila and the priest of Dagon. And then in the second part of the act, we have a duet between Samson and Delilah. And both of these duets are set against the backdrop of a storm. So as we go into this clip, you'll hear a little bit of the storm music behind and the underscoring, and we'll point it out in our next clip. This takes us back to that production from 30 years ago. Here we have Olga Borodina as our Dalilah and Sergei Leferkus as the high uh, priest of Dagon.
So lots of excitement, and we get that ba da 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 da. We get this sense of lightning almost, and that there's a storm that's building. We move faster and faster towards the impending meeting of Samson and Dalila. But we also get a totally different sort of musical style. Here there's a real homage to Bach or Mozart and the idea of this sort of really flight-footed singing, lighter motion, almost as if we're embracing the idea of sort of a fugue uh, between the two voices. Samson, of course, arrives and Dalila pleads with him to not resist her love. He explains that he cannot love her as he has chosen his people first. She then embarks on probably what is one of the most amazing seduction scenes in all of opera, recalling the times that they spent together. Samson, of course, can hear the rolling thunder in the background, perhaps a foreboding shadow of what might be coming, but he just cannot give in. I'm going to play a brief clip of this aria. This aria is probably the most famous piece from the opera outside of the famous Bacchanal, which we'll hear in Act 3. And in this aria, as I said, she is in full-on seduction mode, using everything that she has at her power. The orchestra is again light strings under a passionate vocal line, where she sings of how her heart opens to Samson at the sound of his voice. Now this clip is from the final dress rehearsal of the production you're going to see this evening featuring Alina Garancha and Roberto Alagna. Uh, and watch carefully. I want you to keep your eye as it happens. On her right arm, you notice that there's a jewelry piece that's sort of draped around. As you watch this clip, you'll be able to experience what happens with the joy of live theater. Oh, 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 oh,
just think that he is so enthralled by her, but we also get to experience the amazing idea of this costume that she takes it off, and she's got these sort of bracelets on, and all of a sudden when she takes off the costume, the bracelet is torn off. So you know that the costume shop is on call, waiting off stage to sew it back up, to fix it for her. We know potentially what's going to happen. Seduction is not going to go that well for Samson. The Philistine soldiers have been hiding in the shadows. They come, they grab him at Dalila's queue. He's captured. His power is taken by his hair being cut, and he is blinded. Moving into Act 3. Here we see Samson blinded alone with his hair cut, being forced to turn a millstone in a dungeon. Again, we can see this sort of variety of this ironwork that is in every sort of set, creating a modern setting for us, but also being evocative of this ancient time. He sings remorsefully and prays that God will punish him alone and spare his people. And we return to the world of the solo voice and the hidden chorus, almost sort of bookending this piece with a solo singer and the use of the chorus. So we saw a little bit of Alina. I felt it was only appropriate to hear a little bit of Roberto. Uh, this is his Act 3, Scene 1 from a uh, CD of French arias. The conductor on this CD is Bertrand de Billy. Uh, and this is our Samson for the evening, Roberto Alagna. As you listen to the opening of this section, listen to how uh, Sanson creates the idea. We can hear the orchestra as he pushes the millstone in the orchestra. Oh, the 
So it ends up being that we shift from this scene, where we have a rather dark scene, to the big epic moment that everybody has been waiting for, which is the big bacchanal. Dawn breaks, uh, and the Philistines are there worshiping the high priest of Dagon and also their god Dagon, sort of evocative of Middle Eastern music, uh, sort of French perfume meets Middle Eastern flavor to start this uh, sequence. We have all of our Philistines decked out in red, gold crowns, uh, lots of rubies, and in the center we have our dancers that are going to take on our bacchanal for us. So again, when we hear this opening, I've chosen the opening section so you can hear the oboe solo uh, leading us into the dance. Thank you. 
following the dance, it ends up being that uh, the high priest and Dalila mock Samson and his god. Of course, Samson is immediately sort of taken uh, control by this flight of angels and given this amazing power. And of course, with that power restored, the temple comes crashing down and the opera comes to a crashing end. I couldn't resist sharing at least a little bit and the finale from 30 years ago as Placido Domingo literally brings the house down. That was Metropolitan Opera Guild Director of School Programs and Community Engagement, Stuart Holt, guiding us through the themes and musical highlights of Saint-Saëns, Samson, and Delilah. The Metropolitan Opera's new production by Tony Award-winning director Darko Trezniak can be seen on stage at the Met now through March 28, 2019. You can also see it in cinemas worldwide live in HD on October 20, 2018. For more information, visit metopera.org and be sure to follow the Metropolitan Opera and the Metropolitan Opera Guild on your favorite social media platforms to keep up with all things opera. I'm your host, Naomi Baratera, and thank you for listening.